Good morning, friends. Um, once again, I'm not preaching anywhere locally, so I'm recording a message. I'm entitling it, How Much is Too Much? And this is based on John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. You know, it might have been the strangest dinner party in history. For one thing, Lazarus was there, and not long before he had been dead. Then Jesus raised him back to life, an event that no doubt stirred the entire village of Bethany. It appears this dinner party was given in Jesus' honor to thank him for raising Lazarus. John notes that Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus. Now what exactly do you say to a man who has been raised from the dead? Do you ask what it felt like? You know, that's not a normal topic for a dinner party. But that's only part of the story. At some point, Mary did something so startling, <clears throat> it shocked Jesus' top men. They couldn't believe what they were seeing, and every part of what she did bothered them. That's why this story appears in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. But as we will see, Mary knew Jesus in a way his disciples didn't. She saw clearly what was about to happen when Jesus entered Jerusalem. If she didn't know the details, she knew trouble was coming, big trouble. She knew Jesus was going to die, so she prepared a gift that shocked the disciples, but Jesus loved it. The story begins this way in John 12. <clears throat> Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. See, it's Saturday night in Bethany, a small village near Jerusalem. In just a few hours, Jesus will enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And soon he will cleanse the temple, curse the fig tree, teach in the temple courts, and confront the rising tide of hatred from the religious leaders. Tonight is perhaps the last happy evening he will know. Tomorrow he'll begin his final journey to the cross. Tonight they celebrate. Tomorrow he will enter Jerusalem. In six days he will hang on a cross. As we ponder this dinner party, our eyes rest on two people, Mary and Judas. Mary never says a word, and Judas says too much. One reveals her heart by what she does, the other by what he says. So let's focus on two questions to begin. Question number one, what did Mary do? Well, verse three says, Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Let me talk about nard for just a moment. Nard was an oil extracted from the root of the nard plant, which is grown in India. It was, as John notes here, very expensive. A pound of nard equaled 300 denarii, as Judas reckoned it, meaning it cost the equivalent of nine months of salary for a working man in Jesus' day. It's hard for us to think about that properly. Now, in today's terms, it would be like spending $45,000 on a bottle of perfume. And you might ask, well, who does that? I mean, you can buy a pretty nice car for $45,000. And not only does she have a jar of expensive oil, she pours it on Jesus' feet. And John says that the fragrance filled the house, and it ought to smell good for that kind of money. So let me ask, is that too much? Is that too extravagant? Well, it depends. Extravagant is the word that most preachers use. They talk about Mary's extravagant love and her extravagant gift. And that seems appropriate when you're pouring, pouring $45,000 worth of perfume on someone's feet. Certainly, that's how the disciples looked at it. So, was her gift extravagant? 
Well, I'll answer that by asking you, do you know the most expensive hotel room in the world? It goes for $82,000 a night. <clears throat> it's the Royal Penthouse Suite, and it's got 12 bedrooms in it, at the Royal President Wilson in Geneva, Switzerland. Now, i got to tell you, when I travel, I stay at the Hampton Inn or a Holiday Inn Express, and that's about as fancy as I get. But, you know, Bill Gates has stayed at the Royal Penthouse Suite, but then again, he's worth $79 billion, so it probably didn't seem too extravagant at all. Then there's the story of the million-dollar bottle of perfume. The million dollars goes mostly for the bottle, which contains 183 sapphires, 2,700 white diamonds, 15 pink diamonds, a 3-carat ruby, a 4-carat diamond, and various assorted other gems. All told, the bottle contains 2,909 precious stones that have been fashioned to resemble the New York City skyline. And the process took 1,500 hours to complete. Now, I think we could all agree that that's extravagant. When we talk about something being extravagant, we're always talking about someone else, usually someone a lot richer. So how much is too much? Well, no one really knows. I mean, everyone agrees, for example, the Taj Mahal in India, which I've seen, is one of the wonders of the world. It was built in 1632 by Shah Jahan in memory of his third wife, who died in childbirth. But what would it cost to replace it? I mean, how do you replace the irreplaceable? One Internet source I came across estimated the value at $10 billion to $1 trillion. Now, is that too much? I mean, how do you even begin to answer a question like that? Well, whatever else we may say, Mary's gift didn't seem extravagant to her. She wasn't trying to show off or to make a statement about her wealth. John points out that Judas objected to this, quote, wasteful extravagance. But Matthew and Mark make it clear the other disciples joined in. They were indignant that Mary would spend so much on perfume that was about to be poured on the feet of Jesus. I mean, why not use the money to feed the poor? It's a good question. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But why did Mary do this? Well, remember that Jesus had recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And if you think about it, this is the only time in history that two men who would be raised from the dead ate at the same table. Lazarus had been raised and Jesus would be raised. So it was a remarkable occasion. When Mary saw Jesus raise her brother, it showed her that Jesus was much more than a teacher or a prophet. She knew he had power and authority from God. So her gift didn't seem extravagant to her. Now, in the Old Testament, four groups were anointed. Kings, prophets, priests, and the dead. Jesus fits the first three groups. And in a few days, he would join the fourth. And it seems Mary understood Jesus better than his own men did. One commentary points out that Mary takes center stage three times in the New Testament, and at all three times she's sitting at Jesus' feet. In Luke 10, she wants to hear the words of Jesus. In John 11, she wants to experience the works of Jesus. And in John 12, she wants to declare the worth of Jesus. She didn't come to eat. She didn't come to fellowship. She didn't come to ask a question. She did not come to listen. She came to give her best to Jesus. Her desire to honor Jesus moves her to violate the custom of that day. I mean, a woman would not normally sit at a man's feet, much less let down her hair in public and certainly not wipe his feet with her hair. It was, in a sense, a very private act that others were permitted to see. When Judas objects to Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet with the expensive perfume, Jesus responds this way in verse 7, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. That comment would not have made much sense at the moment. The disciples wouldn't understand it until after the crucifixion. Now, does it mean she had a special knowledge about his upcoming death? 
Well, certainly he'd spoken about it on numerous occasions, and perhaps she had that sort of intuition that women sometimes have. No doubt she sensed the hatred and opposition. She would have realized Jesus didn't fit into the world of the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. I mean, no man who hung out with drunkards and prostitutes and who was called a friend of sinners could last very long. He touched a leper and let a prostitute touch him. I mean, maybe Mary surveyed the scene and concluded that Jesus, whom she loved, was not long for this world. I mean, true love, deep love, honest-to-goodness love can't be explained. Even when you see it, you don't understand it. I mean, Judas had a good point, but so what? Love has its reasons, and those reasons can't always be spelled out. And what can we say about Mary? Well, she's fully committed. She doesn't care what other people think. I'm sure she heard the remarks Judas made, but I doubt that they bothered her. A woman who would do what she did isn't likely to worry about what other people think. I mean, her gift to Jesus was so extravagant, so radical, his top men couldn't understand it. That leads me to one further thought. If my faith never causes me to do things that makes no sense to others, including my Christian friends, perhaps I'm playing it too safe. If everything I say and everything I do seems perfectly comprehensible to the world, then maybe I need to do some soul-searching. I mean, the world says Mary was a fool to do what she did. Would the world ever say that about me? Or you? I'll tell you, that's too close for comfort, which is one reason this story is in the Bible. Let's go on to question number two. Why was Judas so upset? Verses four to six. Then one of these disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He oversaw the money bag and would steal part of it, part of what was put in it. You know, in thinking about this, keep two things in mind. First of all, Judas isn't yet the Judas we know when this takes place. John says that Judas was about to betray Jesus. Mary anoints Jesus on Saturday night. Judas will betray Jesus in five days. So Judas isn't the bad guy he's about to become when he makes his objection. And second, when Matthew and Mark tell the same story, they both point out that many of the other disciples made the same objection. Judas may have been the one to speak up, but he only said what others were thinking. At this point in the story, no one has any reason to suspect his coming betrayal. After all, you don't put a suspicious person in charge of the money bag. You give it to someone you trust. This means the other disciples held Judas in somewhat high regard. It also means they were not good judges of character. I mean, Judas fooled them completely. That brings us to his objection. And remember the 300 denarii would be worth about $45,000 today. Where did Mary get the money to buy that expensive nard? Well, I'll tell you, no one knows, and it's kind of useless to speculate. What can't be denied is that her gift was radical, and in the eyes of the disciples, reckless. I mean, why waste the perfume by pouring it on Jesus' feet? Why not give it to the poor? Now, Jesus' response in verses 7 and 8 shows he welcomes her extravagance. He says, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. If you read that one way, it makes Jesus sound kind of callous, as if he doesn't care about the poor. But he's alluding, I think, back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, where it says, There will never cease to be poor people in the land, and that is why I'm commanding you, you must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. 
It's as if Jesus is saying, don't use your phony compassion as an excuse to criticize Mary. I mean, the law commands you to show kindness to the poor. You're always to care for them. And nothing is stopping you from taking your own money and giving it to them right now. Now, seeing that way, the words of Jesus are both a rebuke and a challenge. Kind of like saying, spend your own money on the poor and stop criticizing Mary for showing such amazing devotion. Now, when I studied for this message, I came across this insight, and it's this, that whenever anyone becomes extravagant in their worship, the devil stirs up trouble. I mean, it's not surprising that as Mary worships, Judas speaks up and tries to ruin that beautiful moment. It was Satan trying to change the subject. I mean, if he can't stop our worship, he'll get us arguing among ourselves, and soon enough we'll stop worshiping altogether and spend all our time arguing. I mean, the devil hates extravagant worship. I mean, what happened after the wise men brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the baby Jesus in Matthew 2? Well, in the very next passage, Herod says out to kill the baby boys in Bethlehem. See, here's the fundamental difference between Mary and Judas. Mary loved Jesus. Judas loved money. You can't love Jesus and love money at the same time. You have to choose. Matthew 6, 24 says you're going to either hate one or love the other. Mary made her choice. Judas made his. I wonder what choice we have made. See, Jesus was perfectly pleased Mary showed such love. I mean, that doesn't conflict with caring for the poor. But in this case, Mary chose the better part, even though the men thought she was crazy to do what she did. But she was right, and they were wrong. And Judas was worse off than he knew that night. Mary showed her uninhibited devotion to Jesus, which shocked the men who saw it. In this case, radical love is better than phony compassion. There are several lessons here, including the obvious one that we shouldn't criticize those who express their love differently than we do. Do you love Jesus? Well, good. Then don't be afraid to let the world know and don't worry if other people don't understand. Now, here are a few obvious implications of this story. One, true love can't be explained. It can only be observed. Two, if we become radical in our love for Jesus, our close friends will likely not understand us. Three, if my love for Jesus never leads me to take a risk, how much do I really love him? There are, four, there are moments when we must act even if no one else joins us. And five, we ought not to criticize those who express their love for the Lord differently than we do. Well, let me wrap this up with one verse not found in John. It's found in Matthew 26:13. It says, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. See, even as Jesus spoke those words, the fragrance of the perfume filled the house. Eventually, the aroma will reach those people on the roof. It would spread to nearby houses, and soon everybody would know about Mary's amazing gift. I mean, she did it for Jesus, but everyone benefited, even Judas, who disapproved. You see, heartfelt worship never stays private. Her gift honored Jesus, but blessed everyone nearby, and so it is with our worship. Years ago, I read this quote. It was from Jess Moody. He said, People choose a church with their noses. They can smell the joy. See, joy is hard to define, but you know it when you smell it. When joy is in the air, it brings with it the aroma of heaven. Something like that happened in Bethany. The aroma of heaven was in the air, and everybody could smell it. Well, let me make the simplest possible application. Don't let anyone tell you to back off your love for Jesus. 
Don't let anyone talk you into being reasonable in your joy. Don't let anyone talk you into playing it safe. I mean, how much is too much love for Jesus? Well, I tell you, <clears throat> there's no such thing. Let your affections for him be lavish. And don't worry about what anyone else thinks. I mean, Mary loved so extravagantly, she scandalized the apostles. And that's why we're still talking about her no more than 2,000 years later. The words of the hymn writer Isaac Watts seems to fit the text. He said, We're the whole realm of nature mine, that we're a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In that spirit, here's a prayer I hope you'll pray right now. Shake me up, Lord, so I will wake up and not be ashamed to show how much I love you. I pray for a life filled with the aroma of heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. And until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.